Hello, I am Michael Askins, architect and technologist, and this is IT Pro Tech Talks. A uh, little bit of a different opening today. Uh, we are still continuing along with our Industry 4.0 uh, conversation, but as you can see, we got a full panel today to talk with uh, this very topic. Returning champion, co-host, Chris, how you doing, Professor? Doing great. Professor Mode is in full force. <laughs> <laughs> and the, those of you should recognize, if you don't, uh, we have a great guest with us, Jeff Winter. He's the foremost expert on Industry 4.0. He is, you know, the number one dubbed from Anna Analytica. I always butcher that. Apologies, but my mouth doesn't work with that word for some reason. The number one thought leader in that space. But what also is important is to know that he is the guy that takes really complex concepts and ideas and makes them digestible for your every business. They make them digestible for your every technologist uh, and takes these concepts and just makes them uh, able to be used and deployed by organizations globally. Welcome aboard, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are thrilled to have you here and you know, the topic, when we think of Industry 4.0, obviously you come top of mind. So I guess the question is, what is Industry 4.0 and how did we get there? Uh, I know we had a definition episode, but let's talk to the expert and get from the expert. What is the, uh, what is Industry 4.0? And I, I like this question because a lot of people ask what is Industry 4.0, but few ask how we got there. So this will kind of be a fun way of, uh, of explaining it. So we have to think about the fact that industrial revolutions have been profound turning points in this story of human civilization. And each one has laid the foundation for the next, reshaping how we all work and how we all live. So the first industrial revolution, which took place in the mid 18th century, so the 1700s, it was characterized by the transition from handcraft to mechanized production methods. And the introduction of the steam engine kind of revolutionized industries, most notably the textiles at the time. And this era marked a dramatic shift from agrarian economies to the industrial urban centers, kind of laying the foundation for modern industrial society. The second industrial revolution was more widespread because of new technologies and processes that were actually kind of introduced in both America and Europe, mainly through the development of the combustion engine, the assembly line, and electricity. And the third revolution, which really emerged in the 1960s, 70s, and a little bit of the 80s, was driven by the advent and proliferation of digital technologies, particularly the microchip. So this period witnessed the rise of the personal computer, the internet, automation, and it kind of reshaped industries in daily life once again. And it signaled a transition from the analog electric technology to digital technology, profoundly influencing communication, production, and global connectivity. And this brings us to today, Industry 4.0, the current industrial revolution, which has deep historical roots in technology progress dating back to the third industrial revolution. So before personal computers became ubiquitous, the industry used programmable logic controllers, PLCs to automate their tasks. But PCs soon joined factory operations, especially when using them for things like SCADA systems. But these early systems often lacked user-friendly designs. Now, as household technology advanced, a technological gap kind of appeared between the consumer and the industrial technology. And by the 2000s, big data emerged as a significant trend. And things with like 
you know, different databases came out providing solutions for massive data challenges. Cloud computing furthered scalability. And while the, the internet of things kind of helped bridge this, this IT and industrial and OT technologies or operational technologies together, and it, it actually led to the industrial internet of things or IIoT. And this convergence kind of birthed next generation PLCs that are now equipped to run operation systems and also applications. And so today, as Industry 4.0 kind of continues to expand, it's including new technologies like digital twin and machine learning. And the, the big thing to note here is that the success of this hinges on robust data strategies, which are what enable huge transformative potential. But here's the way I like to describe it simply. Industry 3.0 is about automation or the reduction of human intervention and processes. Industry 4.0 is about cognition or the process of acquiring wow. knowledge and understanding. Yeah. And what separates these two is your ability to properly capture and harness the power of data. That's great. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, um, you know, a, a lot of that timeline, when I think about, um, you know, even in even in teaching one of my classes or something, you know, we, we have a lecture that that really uh, speaks to that flipping point from analog to digital. And, and largely, it's believed that it was 2002 when that point happened, right, where we flipped over from, you know, cassette tapes and, and um, you know, all of those traditional forms of media to, you know, just this explosion of, of data and digital. And, you know, I mean, what, one of the things we talk about a lot is just the advancement in, in computer chips in that time, you know, the term AI winter and, and, and how long um, all of the AI efforts from the 70s and 80s got put on hold because of just the lack of computing power. And, and really that explosion in computer power, as you mentioned, just led to so many advancements in technology that, that, that it's incredible. Um, you know, and, and, We've been doing this for for now, you know, twenty ish years, right? Um, who, who's adopting this? Like, like you know, we think of a lot of manufacturing in 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 Europe and in Germany, and you know, we've got some in the states. It seems to be kind of going down a little bit. Um, definitely in Asia and things like that. Who's adopting it? So it's funny that you already kind of framed it that way because it shows you a common perception amongst a lot of different people when it comes to the adoption of Industry 4.0 and especially how the U.S. kind of ranks within it. Now, if we look back at the first three revolutions, there were clear dominant players. England was the clear winner in the first industrial revolution with steam power and mechanization. But by the 1900s, the U.S. took over for the second industrial revolution with mass production and electricity, as well as the third industrial revolution, computers and automation. I mean, we've dominated the digital world with most of the largest digital companies, Microsoft, AWS, Google, Facebook, Oracle, Apple, you name it. But our grip is slipping to other parts of the world, especially places like, like China. Now, as an overall society, Industry 4.0 is still just getting started, but has actually been a little bit sluggish. I mean, Industry 4.0 as a term was most famously introduced at Hanover Fair in 2011, so roughly 12 years ago, as part of the German high-tech strategy. Now, in 2018, the World Economic Forum conducted a study on the readiness of future production capabilities of countries based on the structure of production, so this included the scale and complexity, as well as the drivers of production, which included things like 
technology, but also human capital, global trade, investment, that sort of stuff. And this study actually showed Japan was first, then Korea, then Germany. U.S. came in at seventh. So not top five, but still pretty good. Yeah. Accenture actually conducts their digital density index, and they've done it several times, which measures the extent to which digital technologies penetrate a country's business and economy based on like 50 different indicators. Interesting here, the Netherlands was number one, the U.S. was number two, and Germany came in at ninth, and Japan now was 13th. Wow. Yet according to IoT Analytics in 2020, less than 30% of manufacturers reported extensive adoption of Industry 4.0 technologies, but this adoption varies by regions around the world and by industry. So, for example, this report said that North America has the greatest adoption of Industry 4.0 technologies, with automation or sorry, automotive as a uh, subvertical leading the pack. But according to an IoT Signals report by Microsoft and Intel from 2022, North America is leading in two strategies, smart factory strategy and IoT strategy. Uh, APAC or Asia Pacific is actually leading in the rest. We're talking AI strategy, smart connected products, edge computing for shop floor, edge computing for products sold, digital twin for shop floor, digital twin for products sold, all the rest. Surprisingly, Europe isn't leading in any of the categories. Hmm. But industry 4.0 can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Right. So depending on your definition, depending on your industry, depending on your goal, depending on the technology, you will get a lot of different answers. So I honestly think the winning country for industry 4.0 will actually be determined more by geopolitical aspects more than anything. Yeah, that is... That is definitely interesting. And you never fail to amaze the stats that you just have buried in your head. You know, in order to get there, you know, industry 4.0, that we may have some on the business side or some on the IT side thinking, well, this is, I, I believe in this and I hear this and I see these signals in my CIO of the month magazine, but it requires activities or initiatives to try to, you know, get off the ground to start this. Uh, what are the initiatives orgs are doing to either continue their 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 path into four O or start their path into four O or any of the above? <laughs> I wish there were a silver bullet answer yeah. to this, but you can answer this this question in many different ways. You can answer it in terms of initiatives. You can answer it in terms of application or technology. You could answer it in terms of the change in the culture or even the change in the business models. But if we just focus on smart manufacturing, which I would argue is a component of the overarching industry 4.0, according to Rockwell Automation's eighth annual state of smart manufacturing report, the top investment in technology is in process automation, followed by cloud, followed by IoT. Mm. Now, if you compare that to that same Microsoft uh, IoT signals report I mentioned earlier from last year, they actually showed how the top area of investment for smart factory was also process automation and control. So kind of validating that. And IoT analytics further supports this claim in their industry 4.0 adoption report for at least the North American companies. Now, what's funny here is if you look at that, three different reports said process automation was kind of the top area of investment. I would argue that's that's industry 3.0. Yeah. And that tells me that a majority of companies realize 
they can't do a lot of that cool transformative stuff out there unless they get some of their foundations in place. I mean, good luck trying to do analytics or process optimization if you can't control or automate your processes. So fundamentally, this tells me most companies are focusing right now on connectivity. So connectivity, you know, that's focusing on connecting, collecting, and storing the data from all the stuff that produces this data. From there, you can move up to analyzing, reporting, and then taking advantage of artificial intelligence to do prediction and control. But if you switch instead of to smart manufacturing, instead to smart products, so what your company sells instead of what, you know how you make it, according to IoT Analytics, AI-based predictive maintenance of products is the number one, and remote service and support is number two. And then if you take a step back and just look at the manufacturing industry overall, manufacturing is investing in sustainability initiatives and trying to figure out how and where to invest in AI as a technology. So one's more functional, one's more technology basis. That's kind of universal across all subverticals. Yeah, it, so it, it, a lot of stuff to unpack there, Rich. Um, it's it's amazing. I um, I just stumbled upon, and, and and this speaks to the market itself. That you know, recently Microsoft released a um, uh, a process mining, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, tool within the Power Platform and, and Power Automate, right? Um, and and it speaks exactly what you what you're saying. Um, but it is kind of crazy to think that. You know, here we are in 2023. That tool is just now being released as as it relates to market demand, essentially. Uh, yet, you know, the industrial 3.0 was, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Right. So um, it, it's wild to think about, um, you know, just just how far behind, I guess, some some folks are. Um, but it but it makes sense. Right. If you don't have a good foundation for that, that um, that process delivery process capturing, um, how do you how do you measure whether you're making strides or uh, or not? You know, so um, that, that's fascinating. Uh, the other thing that jumped out to me um, was around uh, just how. Uh, companies are adopting some of these these newer technologies because they've been able to get those found that foundation in place um, and and just the the rapid expansion of how quickly um, they they are adopting it you know so it's it's very interesting uh, to see how these the, you know probably even competitors and how the markets are being driven um, you know and and I'd be curious to see like even how they're uh, driven you know by vertical right because you think of like you said the, the auto manufacturers adopting a lot of this technology earlier um, and, and being the leaders, um, you know, back then, it, it's it's amazing to me uh, that 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 they were the first ones considering um, such a, a an, an old school or, or legacy type industry, I guess. Um, you know, so really, really fascinating stuff, Jeff. Well, just to, to further kind of add to that point, it actually isn't that surprising if you think about the nature of how companies make what they make. The companies that are more likely to adopt these technologies just inherently are the ones that every year have to come out with a new product because that means they have to change their processes. They have to change internally how they make stuff. The companies that have been making the same thing for 100 years are less likely to do it. Let's say it's just a foundry for steel or, you know, a, a corn or it could be. Craft mac and cheese. They make that the same way as they did when they first, you know, came out with it. So they're not incentivized to have to change their production processes as much because the process doesn't change unless you want it to change. Yeah, that's a great one, point. 
one of the things I, I've seen too in this space is smaller organizations that maybe have the perceived they don't have the capital to invest in in industry 4.0 tech or processes. They're being forced to come along because some of their manufacturing uh, manufacturers of equipment is providing you know almost industry 4.0 ready gear. You know stuff that has telemetry that's collecting from you know plastics manufacturer who has all this. They used to do manual injection molding. Now they got this automated machine, but in order to make it work the way you need to make it work, there's all this data you need to work with. And it's it's becoming a realization even for that mid-tier and lower org that there is transformation for you too, right? Do, would you agree with that, Jeff? Not only do I agree, there's actually evidence to support it. And the size of your company is not a barrier to your ability to adopt or leverage Industry 4.0. The World Economic Forum has their Lighthouse program recognizing as of, as of January this year, 132 of the best factories in the world. One of the first 16 was a small Italian manufacturer and only had around 200 employees. So yes, small can be successful. It's about identifying where and how to use it. And the barriers for a small company are a lot different than the barriers for a big company. They both have barriers, but they're not the same. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in order to get there, one of the things that happens, we, ha we have to have innovation, right? Innovation seems to be at the heart of this transformation. Um, what are you seeing around innovation? Uh, again, it's for all. It's We democratize innovation. Not The Fortune 5 don't have a monopoly on innovation departments. But what are you seeing as far as innovation in this in this topic of 4.0? And as you know me, I love talking about innovation. So this is a great <laughs> question. And I always like to remind people that innovation is emerging from unexpected places. And it impacts both the top line and the bottom line of organizations. And those that are digitally transforming are not only finding newer, but also more ways to innovate. So now to specifically answer it, I don't know that I see any particular process being done, but I do see the formalization and investment in innovation as a function and process within an organization. So to dive in this a little bit deeper and kind of why and how. So you may be familiar with the, the technology adoption curve. It's most famously attributed to Everett Rogers. And if you're not, it's the, the sociological model that describes the adoption or the acceptance of new products or innovation based on characteristics of defined adopter groups. It basically explains how individuals and even companies behave in implementing new and innovative technologies. Now, the adoption is typically taken on a normal distribution shape with a majority of people falling right in the middle between early majority and late majority. Very few innovators. But in 2020, there was a paper in the Journal of the Midwest Association for Information Systems called Technology Adoption and Disruption, where they describe that this adoption curve is taking on a positive skew, and it's shifting more people heavily into the earlier phases of adoption. Innovators and early adopters are no longer a fringe, a fringe. They're actually becoming more of the norm. And the implications of this would be pretty impactful. I mean, we would see faster market penetration, increased demand for innovation, greater risk tolerance of people willing to try new things and potentially even a bit more volatility in the market. And I would argue we kind of are seeing that. Now, that being said, the chief innovation officer role or CINO is a role that didn't even exist 20 years ago. And yet today, roughly 30% of Fortune 500 companies, according to Forbes, have that role in place. 
In addition, if you go on LinkedIn and you type in chief innovation officer, you're going to get over 13,000 people with the title currently today. And if you just use the word innovation, there's over 270,000 people today with innovation in their title. So yeah, it's, it's taking off. But in the absence of this role, these innovation responsibilities are most likely to fall on the shoulders of the chief information officer or CIO, at least 40% of the time, according to IDC. And this means that the CIO is no longer just focusing on managing information systems and knowledge systems and data systems. Now that role is more about driving innovation by accelerating all the other functions of the company through integrated and advanced technologies. Because business leaders and CIOs know that technological progress and market conditions are changing so rapidly that failure to react quickly can be catastrophic. So all companies need to be innovating more and faster than they ever have been before. Yeah, and, and it's incredible because, you know, have, having been a CIO in my past and um, knowing the difference between a, a revenue generating center versus a cost center, um, you know, if, if you can um, be at the tip of the spear when it comes to the innovation, you're helping your company grow, um, you know, expand their markets, what, whatever, you know, whatever those implications are. Whereas traditional IT, if, if they're just handling, you know, keeping the lights on and, and, and managing those servers, um, you know, it, there, there just seems to be less value in that, uh, you know, and, and when I work with customers and advise them, you know, I, I, I try to encourage them to find ways to um, <clears throat> set apart, right, set their departments apart so that they're no longer looked at it as, as a cost center in a way for the company to innovate and, and to, you know, increase revenue streams and those types of things. It's, uh, so it's really interesting. One, one question I do have, and this is my, um, you know, this is my perception, and, and I'd be curious if, if you have an, an opinion on it, is that, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in my 40s, right? And, uh, and as I've gotten older, uh, I've, I've kind of taken a backseat to how I'm adopting technology, um, you know, whereas when I was younger, I would go and get the greatest, latest thing because it was just cool, right? The cool factor and, and, and always, always being technology first. But as I get older and, and, you know, sort of have more responsibility, less time, I, I'm not able to, um, you know, uh, I guess, futz around with uh, a technology that is maybe raw, um, you know, uh, software, hardware, things like that, 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 you know, you might be a little buggy and things like that. Um, and just because I just don't have time to deal with it. Now, do you think that there's a, a correlation there with, with organizations similarly where, if they're an older organization, you know, somewhat speaking to like we were talking about earlier with um, just that that um, that decision point of, uh, you, you know, if, if you're a corn producer or a steel producer, you're less likely to innovate um, than, than if, you know, you're in other industries. I, I'm just curious, you know, if, if you have any thoughts on that. So it's interesting. I actually I actually made a post uh, on this based off of a principle called Martech's Law, which talks about how technology adoption is accelerating, but it's always adopting and accelerating faster than the uh, acceptance of it. So the curve is always ahead of the acceptance, and it usually takes a cataclysmic event to start to true those up before they start to diverge again. In our case, the pandemic is what we saw where right. companies started immediately investing in innovative technologies, new uses, because they were forced to. I would love if it didn't take cataclysmic events for this to occur, but that's just kind of naturally what happens with it. Now, personally, I just, I'm a, 
tech lover. And so I am on the early adopter phase just by the nature of, of who I am. But I recognize that most people aren't. However, I am. I would put my stake in the ground saying that you're going to see more people pay attention to this selfishly for them and their company because they people are smart enough to recognize I don't have the luxury of time to wait before I fall behind. And that's going to be what drives this before. In 15 years ago, when new technology was released, you could wait a little bit. You could kind of see what happened with it, how the market accepted it before you decided personally to invest in it. If you do that now, you don't have three years. In some right. cases, you don't have three months. Those that figure out ChatGPT first took off compared to those who still are waiting to, to experiment or, or use it. So I think it's going to cause more of a shift in our thinking as people as well as companies to go, we need to start looking and addressing this stuff earlier before we rule it out. I'm not saying everyone needs to adopt every technology, but you should have your pulse on more what's going on because the speed at which that can be disruptive for displacing your job, displacing your company, shifting your industry is too fast now to wait years. Yeah. One of the things that is going to, you'll see too, Chris, to, to your Point you made earlier is as people get earlier or later in their career, you know, attrition happens. A pandemic, a lot of people I know that I've worked with, they said, I'm done, I'm retiring. Not because of the pandemic, because there's a whole new set of technologies that they're just not, you know, they're in care and feeding of tech mode. They're not into innovate, deploy, transform. Uh, and you'll see that ebb and flow, and in, in it, it really baffles me. There's a local college here that actually still teaches COBOL. Like that's like a core course for what they teach. And I'm, I'm thinking, why is that? Well, because there's an attrition of systems that are so legacy that still need to be supported. And they, they, they need to put people into the market to help support these. That market is very, very small, mind you. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, we, we, uh, we sit, I sit firmly in the Rust Belt. And you can just imagine the speed of some organizations in some of our areas. Uh, great point, Jeff, you know, pandemic ramp that up. We see, I see all new CEOs, CIOs in the region from like outside of the region coming in, taking over. Uh, we see these, these seats shift, but the pool gets smaller. And so if you're, you're not ahead of it, um, or at least aware of it to be able to make a decision to get a team to deploy it, then you're going to be behind the eight ball and, potentially a resume generating event not staying current if you if you ask me <laughs> there's going to be a, a really interesting dichotomy though with you know these these just massive manufacturers and you know we talked a lot about process and process automation and and what it takes to get to the point where you can really embrace some of the smart factories and things like that um you know so is it is it a matter of you know skunk works projects that you know for for some of these companies who just haven't evolved quickly enough you know where they're able to innovate and you know i i think of a customer that you know they're, they're a device manufacturer they've been doing it for 45 years um you know and, and you know they're looking at ways to um service their customers in new ways digitally giving them um information about um you know data and and usage and things like that and it, it's a real struggle for them to make that shift and so you know, do, do you think that um, that organizations that that haven't embraced, um, you know, more of that process um, uh, improvement and, you know, those types of tracks, do, do you think that they're um, more apt to kind of run a, a Skunk Works program? And if it takes off, maybe spin it off or any any thoughts on that? 
Well, there's, there's kind of two ways of addressing it. Um, one is one of my findings from that World Economic Forum Lighthouse program was around the driver of the change. Everyone on there, as far as I can tell, the driver was external, driven by the environment in which they compete, which means they saw a competitor and go, oh boy, if we don't do something, we're going to be out of business. Yeah. That is a massive push for companies to do things. Now, the second part I was going to answer is innovation. A lot of people only focus myopically on one particular part of innovation when innovation is a broader concept. And if you have a formal framework, I recommend something like Doblin's 10 types framework, which kind of tells you about all the different categories of innovation you should be exploring and considering everything from business models to your channels, you know, to your brand, to the product itself, to the product process, like all of these different areas that you can look at it. And a good formal innovation program taps into the, the, the uh, minds of every employee in the company. And usually it often is just, how do you make your job better? What can we do to make your job better? And you start to aggregate those up and you can make some pretty powerful routine improvements in your organization in many different areas. And the, the companies that have the biggest success here are actually combining multiple innovation categories together, but they're taking advantage of hundreds and maybe thousands of people making suggestions for how to make improvements in what they do every day. Yeah, yeah I, I typically refer to that as pressure. So a business needs a pre either an external pressure from a competitor or a compliance of reason to be in compliance to make a change or internal pressure to maintain happy, healthy workforce that's productive. Um, pressure is, is, a, is a change motivator for a lot of organizations. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important, um, you know, because uh, I, I think I, I was watching something else you did, Jeff, and, and you, you make the distinction between innovation and invention, right? And how they're not the same. Yeah. Um, you care to speak to that just briefly? Yeah. I mean, invention is about creating something brand new that doesn't exist. And a lot of people confuse that with innovation, which is a much broader concept about it could be an invention, making something that doesn't exist. It could be doing something in a new way or just a new way for you or your company. So I would say all inventions are innovations, but not all innovations are inventions, which leads to a common misconception that innovation doesn't necessarily require creativity to do this. You just, that's why there's more formal processes for innovation than there are for invention, which does usually require a little bit more of a eureka moment, a little bit more of creativity to come up with something that's never existed on the face of the earth before. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think you can you can have a, a a guiding path or 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 a framework or template, whatever you want to call it, for innovation, right? And, and the steps that you should take as a company. Really hard to have that for invention, right? Uh, I mean, unless you you want to follow the path of sitting in a a white room with a table and a pencil and a piece of paper, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, any final thoughts or words or anything that? Uh, you want us to touch on Jeff that we maybe didn't touch on around some of the, I mean, this could go for hours for days, you know, that's why we kind of have this as a series, but any, any kind of final thoughts that you might have here for us or for our listeners? I would just say to say that we're living in a exciting time right now. And because there is no formally agreed upon or universally accepted definition of industry 4.0, Every company needs to come up with their own definition to figure out how to take advantage of 
all of these technologies that are out there right now, combine them in a unique way that is beneficial for your company to change what it does and how it does it. And that's a big thing that I want people to kind of take away is come up with your own definition of industry 4.0, leveraging all this stuff we talked about. Yeah, that's, that's, that's brilliant. That, yeah. That's brilliant. Sorry, sorry, Chris. That's yeah, the no. sound. That's my soundbite for the show, man. That's brilliant. I love yeah, that. Yeah, and, and 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 it's a great point, right? Because the size and scale, you know, we talked about. I mean, the, the Italian manufacturer had only had two hundred people, you know, versus a you know, couple hundred thousand person organization. You know, it, it's very different those definitions. So that's that's awesome. I love the way you put that, Chris. Final thoughts. Um, you know, I mean, I think the only thing that that I'm really, really curious about and and, and see as we go f- uh, forward is is how some of the innovation in in AI is going to affect some of this. Right. Um, I, I had a dinner with with somebody the other night that, um, you know, they were using AI to um, uh, produce organisms like actually um, develop organisms. They, they said that uh, the guy told me he brought back a, a flower. Um, from 2000 years ago, they reproduced it and made a perfume out of it. Right. And, and, and that's all done with AI. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg. So, um, you know, really, really interesting to see how this is going to affect the industry for Auto. And I think it's probably something we got to watch very, very closely, you know, to see how, how it again disrupts, um, you know, that, that industrial revolution. Yeah, yeah, agree with you there. This as long as they're not extracting DNA of like dinosaurs from amber and recreating <laughs> Jurassic Park, I'm okay with that. Oh, uh, it's so, probably going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> probably. A couple final thoughts I have for our crowd. Um, it's such a broad topic, and there's so many different areas that this touches. And I, I just pulling from Jeff's experience and expertise and, and some of the, the color that Chris added, one of the things I, I'm just encouraging everyone to do is to look critically at what you're doing, how you're doing it in your processes. Anybody that's ever worked for me before will know that phrase, look critically, because just because you've done it that way doesn't mean you need to keep doing it that way. And that could be just that first step to start rethinking and reimagining how you work as a business. Um, so, you know, put, stay tuned to the future shows. We've had a few in the past. We we're going to keep continue on with this series. Thank you so much, Jeff. We really appreciate you coming on yeah, uh, in the expertise. Uh, you, you have an uh, amazing wealth of knowledge, and we appreciate tapping into that. Uh, Chris, as usual, uh, on behalf of the show, thank you, listeners and viewers. This, I think, is perfect for both. Uh, so we're going to get this in both, both areas. We thank you and appreciate you as listeners and viewers. And we'll see you on the next one. Have yeah, a good night. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you.